Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. excited today um, for our episode given that we have friends and guests across the waters. Today we will be talking all things activism and advocacy with the Asian Youth Act, two members from the Asian Youth Act. They are an American-based non-partisan organization that seek to promote political and civic engagement of Asian youth through informative and research-centered posts and personal narratives. We have Ngang and Audrey here today. Thanks so much for both coming. How are you both today? We're glad to be here today. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I mean, we mentioned before as we, we were setting up, activism and efficacy is an issue that I think needs, not need a lot of development, but I feel like it's not often talked about amongst Asian communities in Australia compared to kind of our American counterparts. So I think it's so fitting that we, you know, have the pleasure of having Asian Youth Act on this episode today to, you know, discuss all of this. Um, So to start and kick things off, um, tell us about yourself. You know, what is the Asian Youth Act and how did you get started? So as for me personally, I focus a lot on racial justice, feminism, mental health and climate advocacy ever since I was younger. And this was something I partook in mainly because of my sisters. So it was more so something that I saw in my family. So I felt more inclined to partake in it. But that being said, my parents were a bit hesitant about me going into activism, mainly because it is not necessarily congratulated. It's not something that is normal. It's not something that you see frequently. And there's this mentality that it's like, what are other people going to think about us? Of course, they didn't mean it in a bad way, but it was kind of like, is this the best idea? And with that being said, I think that it really sparked a lot of internal conflict when I was growing up because I saw my parents telling me, oh, this might not be the best idea. It's very noble. It's a great cause that you're working towards, but there's a lot of dangers that are present, especially as a youth, a woman, and just in today's society, it's not easy to talk about a lot of these issues. But on the other hand, I had my sisters who were pretty open about talking about these issues. Of course, they were not necessarily what you would call like your super pro-activist nowadays, but in my eyes, they were very much so activists in my community. So with that being said, I actually started Asian Youth Act with one of my other friends, and it started off kind of as a space where we could talk to one another and try to figure out why it's so difficult to have conversations with the people in our community about Asian issues, and particularly with other Asians as well, because a lot of Asian issues are not commonly talked about one. So there are Asians who don't even know that certain Asian issues exist. And it comes this problem where 
people are like, oh, this was an issue. I had no idea. And then your friend will tell you something and they're like, oh, well, I guess I never knew about that either. So Asian Youth Act was really created to be a space where we could talk to each other in a sense where we could tell each other's stories and really try to understand one another, be empathetic, and grow to be more compassionate towards one another. So with that being said, Asian Youth Act is essentially just that. And going off of that, we also wanted to educate more Asian youths, even though that does sound a bit condescending, not supposed to be. (laughs) It's more so of a thing that we wanted to do so that we can help other people learn more about it. And even myself and Audrey, we're consistently learning every day. Like, just because we're part of this does not mean that we know everything. If anything, because we're in a position that lets us know about so many of these issues, it actually shows us how much we don't know at the same time. So that's something that I always keep really dear to me because if I didn't know something before and the more I stay within this realm, the more I learn that there's so much I don't know. But yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I just got chills from that because I just feel like that's that's so relatable to Isabella and I and why we really wanted to start this venture a lot of the time was just to generate conversations because as you were saying, a lot of the time people just aren't aware and the power of just having those small conversations really can't be uh, understated. So that's that's so awesome, awesome work from you guys. Um, how, how many years ago did you start this? Because I, I was looking on the website and you've got members all around the world, your team is massive. Like, how did you grow it that big? So for our team, we started in June of last year. So it's pretty Last recent. year? Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's, a fan- that's, that's awesome. fantastic. That is awesome. um, and I mean, yeah, just to touch on Jeff's point as well, I think what you mentioned yeah, has been such a, it, it's so telling in terms of kind of the issues that are present within the Asian community when it comes to the lack of, not communication, but I guess there's not really this space often where Asians can really you know, have these conversations um, and like, you know, to echo Jeff, mm. I think that was what really triggered, you know, kind of our venture into this podcast. But it's so fantastic to see Asian Youth Act take that and go beyond it to the spaces of activism and advocacy. Um, and I'm curious, though, like, given the impacts of COVID, have you found navigating activism to be a bit more difficult or has it made things easier with things presumably going online? How has that worked? I think. The reason why, to address one of your questions from earlier, the reason why we've been able to have a larger membership base that encompasses other people like internationally, um, that has really been something that the internet has allowed us to achieve. Without it, I don't think we would have been able to really reach out to so many people from so many different places. And to have such a wide membership base is something that we also learn from because we are both in the United States and media here is often very U.S. centric, but we definitely learn a lot from our international members. Absolutely. I think that just to add on to that, the fact is that something I see commonly within a lot of groups is that it's very hard sometimes to even start locally. And even within our town that Audrey and I are from, 
even though there are a lot of people who are now interested in advocacy and activism, it's still very hard to really form a group who will be dedicated and will stay on like these issues, continue to tackle them. Yep, yep. And with such limitations, of course, the media is great because we do have that platform to reach out to other people and for them to also join us. Yeah, for sure. I feel like when you are talking about and discussing and learning about a lot of these issues, they are they are tough to just do on a day-to-day basis. And the longevity of constantly learning can can be a lot for some people. So I can definitely see, like, especially with activism when um, potentially it's something that's a bit more active versus just learning and there's a lot more action involved in it. So I can definitely see how that could be a problem. But just to boil back a bit and on the theme of continuous learning, can you tell us, in your opinion, what actually is activism? So I, I had to actually look this up. Um, like what counts as activism and what's the difference between ad- activism and advocacy? So activism, to begin with, is really, to me, anything that is considered taking action, whether that is boycotting, using media outlets, talking or emailing government officials, petitioning, donating, protesting, going to marches. These are the ones that are what you would consider common nowadays, at least, um, with the rise of activism globally. But taking a step towards the more creative side, there are some cool outlets such as music. Um, Audrey told me, I remember a while back that she told me about how the French have like e- like eco-activism music. And I found that wild and extremely cool. Yeah, there's a little bit of like a sub-genre of French rap that is just about the environment. But it was really interesting when I learned about that. There you go. So really, activism is anything that you consider to be a productive action or effort to amplify a message, create a solution to a problem, or truly just to make an impact. On the other hand, advocacy comes closer to working with people who are creating those policies, working with people who are in charge of seeing whether it will get passed through lobbying, all of those kinds of things. So with those two, they are used interchangeably, but that's also because they coexist. And it's very hard to have one without the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw an awesome quote from Eva Lewis, uh, the founder of Youth for Black Lives in in Chicago. and, And she said, to be an activist is to speak, to be an advocate is to listen. Society can't move forward without both. So it definitely speaks to that point where one, um, they both exist at the same time. Yeah, and I just feel that it's so important to just understand those concepts at a very basic and fundamental level. You know, especially mm. you know, you know, coming from a perspective that's I would say from the outside in. You know, I wouldn't consider myself an activist, but would you know the podcast and the stuff that we do on As I Am is that considered advocacy? And even just like framing conversations with, you know, activist friends and, um, you know, the community itself, it, it's good to kind of know between these concepts and, you know, clarify from there. Mm. Um, but I'm curious, though, I, I think, you know, with the rise, obviously, of social media and we saw in particular with Black Lives Matter, Blackout Tuesday and the posting of the black squares, I think 
rightfully so, slacktivism has often been coined to criticise the activism that it does occur on online platforms, most obviously Instagram and Facebook. Do you think there's any merit to this claim or do you think, you know, posting on Facebook or posting on Instagram, reposting stories that do kind of have this activist lens really is more tangible, if not um, more impactful than, you know, going to protest and doing things in real life? Um, Well, I think it's really important to note that not everyone can have the opportunity to go to a protest, whether it's because like your family might not support the same causes as you if you're a student Mm. or like you don't have the transportation to get there. You might not it might not be safe for you if you don't have someone else to go with. Um, So it definitely can be a form of activism for you to be spreading these materials and having other people within your circle learn about these things. But it's also true that people can just post and like repost a lot of these materials without really looking into them themselves and really caring about them. So just because someone may repost a lot of materials onto their social media doesn't mean that they're necessarily not a real activist because they don't go to protests. It's really hard to define who is and who isn't. It's really up to the person themselves to do what they will with the materials that they find. Yeah, yeah. And this is something I've been I've been thinking about heaps, especially throughout the last year when we were all stuck inside and social media was a big thing of how you communicated the things you cared about. And I, I guess I'm just always thinking, like, does the net benefit of slacktivism actually make it a worthwhile thing? So on the one hand, yes, people are putting up a facade supposedly to accrue social capital um, and and favour, but they are spreading an important message, like you were saying, and potentially to people who might actually, you know, take action and and do something about it. So it's, yeah, it's a difficult thing to, and you don't want to be that person that just like calls out someone else for posting something because you've made this assumption that they're doing it um, with malintention. But I don't know, what do you guys think about this? Like, do you think it's, do you think it's a worthwhile thing in the end? Yeah, I think that something to keep in mind is mainly that it is activism, mainly when you have the intent to learn and to hopefully work towards a greater cause. And that's really Mm -hmm. hard, right? Like liking a post, it's not like I'm going to know if I see one of my friends, I don't know if they necessarily agree with that. But Something that is important to note is that for anyone who does these slacktivism types of activities, they just need to make sure that they are not falling under the illusion that what they're doing is inherently going to mean change. And I think that is something that a lot of people misconceive, mainly because they feel really good about themselves or... Um, and that's really good, right? It's good to make a change. Yep, it's yep. good to want to do these things. But you go onto websites like change.org, and of course, it has a lot of potential to do really well. But then you also see thousands of petitions there. And how many of them actually are able to lead to change, right? How many duplicates are there that could have been just put into one? And with that being said, I think. What I would say is it's really important to do the research that even if you are doing quote unquote like slacktivist types of activities, that you're at the very least not spreading misinformation, that you are ultimately trying 
to create something bigger than just awareness. Because activism at its core, the whole purpose of activism is to eventually implement action, right? (laughs) And without that, then we're missing the goal. We're just doing the steps, but we're not seeing the bigger goals that are in place. Mm. Yeah, I just think that my biggest qualm with this activism is that it renders people complacent and it's just all about virtue signaling and to be honest, ego. You know, I, I just feel like I sometimes I can't help but notice on Instagram, I think particularly Instagram, that's where I kind of find slacktivism tends to occur more frequently, people who I have never heard an opinion from. I mean, that's not a bad thing, you know. Sometimes it's like it's great for people to like suddenly, you know, voice about certain things, but it's just so it just almost feels quite um, gratuitous. Like they're just posting for the sake of doing it because everyone else is doing it. Like, do they actually really care about the issue? And to me, that is that worse than spreading the message? You know, the fact that like they feel good about themselves and they kind of tamper their ego and they're like, yep, I'm done for the day. I did good. I reposted a story. And I don't know, that to me almost, yeah. it, it's. I find it so irksome because it's yeah. just like, what have you actually done? You're doing nothing but you know, virtue signaling to your audience that people may think you're a good person just because you posted a black square. Um, so I don't know. I, I find that performance and the, that performative nature of slacktivism, it, I don't know, I think it's quite harming Yeah. because yeah. you're not actually caring about the cause. You're just caring about your ego. And, I mean, I, I think it just goes to the issue of what we're talking about, you know, but do the benefits of spreading this message does it outweigh that performance so yeah i don't know that's just my sticking point that i can't seem to get over yeah and you feel like a dick sometimes if you're if you yeah. like look at someone like oh i don't think they're actually posting this with good intentions and they're like oh what who am i to say that like they're doing like they're doing something good so this is this is the balance that i i toy with a lot especially over the last year just thinking about it constantly and i think the illusion of slacktivism and the drive of slacktivism is probably you know pushed by this idea that caring is cool now it's like um mm, you, you think yeah. about you think about all those 90s high school movies and you think about you know who the cool kids were in school when it was like the sports and the jocks and stuff i reckon if you remade those movies the cool kids are like the activists you know the people who like fight for issues and tie themselves to trees and all that sort of stuff so yeah, I think it's 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 a sign of the times, um, and I don't really have a solution. I don't know if you guys do. Like, do you guys have any thoughts on on this I, idea? I mean, yeah. I, I, sorry, I was gonna say as well. I, I feel like it's just it goes beyond like individuals. You know, you see corporations suddenly. Oh my god! <laughs> having like the rainbow flag. Oh my like god! Their, on know, LinkedIn, corporate <laughs> logo. <laughs> BLM matters, you know, yeah, and, and yeah, it's just yeah. like. It's it's not just individuals. It it's really it really be we really have corporations out here pretending like they actually care about these issues because it actually it makes money. You know, you market well as someone as a corporation who actually does care about these issues. People are ostensibly gonna you know view you in a more favorable light. Yeah. yeah. But at what cost? You know, especially if we don't care about the issue and it's all performance. But yes, what do you think other ways that we can combat this, and how do you kind of temper this balance? I think that a big part of it is like the intent. We all truly hope that the intent is good, right? And it makes us really frustrated as activists when we see people who don't necessarily have the greatest intentions, like it doesn't align with our core goals. 
but the impact does exist in some shapes if research is done, right? So I think a big part of doing activism, especially online, is that whether it's, you know, even performative activism, like a big part of being like a consumer of this type of media is to recognize, are they actually doing something or is it just a message that they want to say as a campaign? So for example, if I was to say um, a brand, right, a brand was like, oh, um, you know, Asians are human too, right? But they're, <laughs> right? So if they were like, hashtag Asians are human too on their Instagram that day, and they were like, you know what, we see, we see like everything that's happening, and we need to really extort the situation, potentially. But we don't know that, right? Is, it, is that a real hashtag? I think it is. Oh, Jesus. Yes. It is. It is. I'm a big Instagram person. This is why I know this. But but essentially, what we like our personal responsibility is to mm. find out whether we should be supporting that. Because, you know, they might be saying one thing, but if their actions don't align with that, yeah. Then yeah, we know that they don't have good intentions and yeah. we don't we will never really know their true intentions what we can do is use their actions and someone told me this (laughs) i think it was like one of my old history teachers in the past that it's like a toxic boyfriend or like a toxic (laughs) significant other where it's like they'll say one thing right but if they're like if they're being rude to you if they are constantly like ignoring your feelings they're not Mm. talking to you they're not really communicating what's happening to you then why are you with that person right so it's kind of the same thing i feel Mm. like i put that ethos into activism sometimes because it works similarly if companies are not willing or people are not willing to show that they care it's hard for us to really tell you know and of Mm. course we only know so much but it's what they give us and they can't necessarily blame us for interpreting it that way um along those lines would you feel like someone doesn't care if they don't post things on social media but they do have a social media account because on social media a lot of people use it to different extents like i have one friend that is on social media, but like just doesn't really post anything on any of his social media accounts. Mm. But I know that he is invested in Asian issues and goes out of his own way to read about it and learn about it. So in that case, like, I don't know, like, I would not say that he isn't engaged. I know that he is personally engaged, just that sometimes he doesn't feel like he has the authority or enough knowledge to really speak on the issue mm, mm. yeah and I've, i remember i'm um, chatting to my partner's sister and apparently um she went to school with a bunch of um other other girls who were basically calling out people who weren't reposting things um Ooh. doing blm and so it just almost sounds like you can't win you know <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah but that's just if, you, if you post yeah. 
people just, people think you're not genuine. If you don't post, people think you don't care. So it's a, it's a yeah. vicious cycle. Yeah. It's, it's a very vicious cycle. <laughs> so to bring the conversation back to Asian Youth Act and the things that you guys do, do you guys feel there are many challenges that are specifically unique to Asians within activism, whether it's how we're brought up, the environment that we're in, how Asians are as a community? Like, have you run into some of these issues and um, what are they? I think the one that really sticks out to me most um, prominently would be the fact that a lot of Asians grow up with this mentality that we need to stay in this social harmony with others that we should not really mm. speak up too much. Like if mm. something happens, it's kind That's of like, one. it's okay. You know, it's, it's one thing. You're not going to die. It's going to be fine kind of thing. So then you kind of grow yeah. up with thickened skin. You're kind of like, oh, I mean, this happened to me in the past. And I mean, nothing like too bad happened, you know? So you're like, oh, let's just move on. And with that being said, it becomes very difficult because everyone, not everyone, but like a lot of people just adapt to that mentality. And then everyone collectively starts to agree, oh, this is okay when it's not okay, right? And with that being said, it feels worse sometimes to speak up because then now you're different. People are going to be like, oh, why are you doing that? I thought we all agreed that it's fine, you know, it's that that's in the past. We kind of already collectively agreed that this was not going to be something you speak up about because it's not that big of a deal. Um, something else I'd like to mention is just sometimes there's a lot of a generational disconnect and with having to respect your elders mm. as just a big thing in a lot of Asian cultures and not coming mm. into conflict with your parents, yeah. um, especially if you disagree with them on something like political or like some social thing, like anti-blackness is really prevalent in the Asian community. It's, it's just hard to speak out about it, especially if you know your family isn't necessarily supportive of the same ideas that you are. Yeah, just on that, um, I, I think what you have said you know, completely echoes the experience here as well. Like, you know, being Asian Australians, Asian Americans, I don't think there is a really big difference in terms of that cultural difficulties of overcoming the expectations of what an Asian is meant to be versus, you know, what you really want to do um, when it comes to kind of activism. Um, and I think your point on anti-blackness is so true and it's so unfortunate. And I'm just curious, like, have you both had those conversations within your families, within your communities about anti-blackness and how do you actually like, you know, do that productively? I'm curious to kind of hear both of your experiences. It's very hard. <laughs> um, I remember last May, I was sitting down and I was watching TV with my parents and in Vietnamese culture, in comedy, sometimes they use blackness as like a sense of not beautiful. And a lot of people were like, oh, she's not pretty. And then I think in the skit, it was kind of like, oh, I can understand Vietnamese, like get it together kind of thing. But they laughed it off. But it made me deeply uncomfortable with the fact because at the time, I was not hyper aware 
about anti-blackness in the Asian community before Black Lives Matter, to be honest, if I'm being completely honest. But as I got more exposed to that community and learning more about racial injustices and how it goes interpersonally and intrapersonally within our communities, I started to recognize like there are blatantly discriminatory things that we just kind of laugh off. It's not that no one says anything, it's that the people who say them, there aren't enough of them, or rather they're not being heard. And it's very hard to hear a lot of these people because there aren't a lot of people supporting these people, you know? And that being said, I remember having a conversation with my parents, hey, I don't want to watch this. Mm. And my parents didn't really question it, but they were like, why? And I was like, this is pretty uncomfortable for me. And I think my parents caught on relatively quickly but I think it's also hard sometimes because even talking about race and anti-blackness comes from a place where the entire community has normalized it so to have even that conversation being like oh I didn't feel comfortable with that that's very difficult oh it's so tough I was like okay so how am i going about this i remember just eating and i was like okay so how do i tell them that i don't want to watch the rest of this right and i don't think my parents really watch tv with me so it was more so because my parents want me to learn vietnamese and it's like one method that my parents use but for me i just remember being deeply deeply uncomfortable i was like okay, this is like not okay. And I need to try to get out of this. And I just remember that that's not even what I would consider as really addressing anti-blackness. Like I once afterwards, many months later, many, many, many months later, after that incident, had I been able to sit down with just my parents to talk about them, about like Asian Youth Act, and part of it being Mm. in solidarity with other communities as well because for asians we want asians to get involved but it's not only for asian issues because everything's intersectional here right so there's nothing that exists by itself if there's asian issues there's going to be issues within like Mm. the like people of color community right it's not just us so yeah i think that's a big thing Mm. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. I I think it's it's obviously very difficult to talk about how difficult, you know, this is. Um especially, you know, within your own families. Like I think this is a very common issue across many young, you know, Asians to be frank when it comes to kind of tackling anti-blackness, you know, within that kind of generational space. Um I mean, Audrey, have you had similar experiences or have you had success in kind of um combating this? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, it's also difficult to talk to my parents about it. But I think like, they kind of taught me to have a kind of implicit bias when I was really young that it wasn't even anything explicit. It was like, we would all as a family be in the car and we'd be driving back from somewhere and there'd be like, a neighborhood where there were there was just clearly a higher black population. And one of my parents would like lock the car doors again 
And for me as a young kid, like I didn't really make much of it, but I think it was something that went into the way I behaved even in elementary school, just because I kind of associated like danger with like being in those areas because Mm. that's just the way it is because my parents associated it with that. And like when you're young, you don't really interrogate what your parents do as much. And I think it was really, it became clear to me how strange (laughs) it was to just assume that once I was in middle school and got on social media and really started seeing like what was going on around the world with race in the United States with race and just the tensions between different communities here. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, you're not aware of that, as you were saying, when you're a kid. And you, as I guess as you grow older, it becomes this process of of unlearning. And yeah, yeah, it's always it's always kind of like it's it's a bit fucked, isn't it? When you think about those small things that um, you revisit your childhood, and you're like, oh, that was actually really bad. And you don't when you're when you're a kid, like your parents are a single source of truth, and that realization that oh, we're actually quite different. We grew up in different times. We have really different views of the world and boiling that down to having a tough conversation is yeah that's a lot of that was done last year i feel across the world just people were having tough conversations but i think even those small things just one phrase is i'm not comfortable watching this growing that into a conversation a, a longer conversation i think is that they're baby steps but i think those steps are all needed so um thanks for sharing both mm. of you thing like no one is born racist these are all behaviors that we learn you know out of the product of like our social conditions um so i think you know the pertinence and importance of something like asian youth act where you're kind of advocating you know you're trying to start from very young you know i feel like having this cross kind of awareness you know as as early as you can to be honest amongst youths i think really is one of the best ways to kind of tackle issues like anti-blackness and even just broader issues of racism and things that we unconsciously learn and things that we hold biases against and you know it's I mean we're still unpacking and that's something that Jeff and I um have come to kind of grow to learn on this show that it's it's one of those things where we all still have implicit biases to work through um but you know this is the first step I will end on a final question just because we are running out of time but this has been such an amazing conversation I am curious I think often activism and advocacy and to be to be frank like this is something I personally feel as well it can be quite a daunting venture for a lot of people how do you think we can dismantle this barrier and you know are there alternate ways to be an activist I think Yan you touched on this before about the intersection of being Asian and also being an activist and kind of the quote-unquote disapproval of your parents because to be frank I don't know many Asians who are activists and who don't do go down this path and the ones that I do it's very admirable and I you know I think the work they do is amazing but I think from the outside looking in it can be quite intimidating and I'm just wondering you know from your personal opinions like what do you guys think would be kind of the best ways for people to kind of overcome that intimidation and to you know be an activist one thing to recognize is that anyone can be an activist whether you end up going into the field of activism full-time like as a full-fledged activist or something that you do just like daily one big thing that i would say is that being 
compassionate and empathetic and taking steps to truly understand your community is the very first step to activism. Because at its core, the reason why people want to tackle these issues is because it's hurting people, right? And to gain that sense of justice and morals that guide you through these issues, it's important to really understand your community. And it takes a very long time. Like, it's not going to be like, oh, a few hours, we're gonna like, get it over with. It's one of those things that you will never stop learning. You will never be at full capacity. And it is extremely important to recognize that baby steps, once again, right? Start with understanding your community. And once you start seeing those different facets of your town, your city, your state, province, country, whatever, right? Whatever community that is, start to look at the issues that are there and talk to people who you feel comfortable with or who you think you would be most comfortable with first. And then take it step by step, almost like exposure therapy in a sense. <laughs> and and yeah. really, it helps a lot. It's very hard to go from zero to a hundred, right? But if you take it like one, two, mm. maybe one day you're feeling like a four, go to four, right? But it takes time to grow no, it takes time to become more comfortable with each of those steps. So yeah, yeah, mm. yeah no, that that's such good advice. Because I don't know about you, Jeff, but I sometimes, honestly, I feel guilty sometimes for feeling like yeah. I'm not doing enough. My community for you know being out there and actually rallying, um, and it's one of those things where I'm like, fuck, like I could be doing more. Am I a bad person mm. that I'm not doing more? And I guess it goes back to that conversation we had before about like the merits of slacktivism. You know, is there is you know is is doing something like doing something like the podcast or doing sharing something on your newsfeed? Is that can that be as impactful as going outside and going to a protest? Um, but no, I, I do think you're right in saying that it is baby steps, and it's not as if you can just like mm. automatically go from like nothing to like you know camping outside overnight. Um, somewhere so it's one of those things where like yeah baby steps but I don't know it's still it really intimidating is. I'm not gonna lie no, it really what is. do you think um, Jeff? and just to, one of those first things that you said uh, the more you're in this space the more you realize you don't know and I think what comes with that is when the more you learn the more somehow occasionally you feel quite helpless because there's so many there's so many issues around the world and you can't possibly be in a million places at once and that that guilt is yeah it sucks i i don't have a more eloquent way of saying that but it just it just sucks and it's the same thing like i, I see protests that happen in melbourne and it's like can i take like sh should i be taking a day off work like should i be there like am i am i the bad person for like you know living my everyday life instead of um standing out there to support a cause that i actually believe in so it's it's a struggle so i think the, the advice of baby steps is really fitting and it, and it makes a lot of sense. And um, hopefully 
some of our listeners will take that on board and maybe that's sort of their first step into into activism. Absolutely. I think one last note that I would like to say is that activism is daunting. Like it is extremely daunting. I remember going into it, I was a really tiny kid in comparison. I actually started in climate advocacy and in climate advocacy, I saw no other people of color. I was the only one under like the age of 50 probably. Wow. And they were all white. I just remember being really intimidated. My parents were like, are you sure about this? And I was like, yes. But I remember being so feeble and feeling so small. But I think that the more I did it, it was kind of like, okay, I guess I guess it's not as bad this time. It's still bad, but it's less bad because at least I'm used to it. And it gets better over time. And you will have fallbacks, like major fallbacks. And like you said, Jeff, you will feel really hopeless sometimes. Mm. That's why it's so important to find the issues that you feel like you can tackle first and really ham at it. Go full out. And something I truly recommend for all activists is find something that you are so passionate in that you are willing to give time to it every day, even just 10, 15 minutes every day, even when you're so tired, just 10 minutes to learn more about it, figure out how you can help, maybe try to create a solution for it, to even just implement in your own community. There's so many people who can be impacted from just your community alone. So baby steps and remember that you're not alone. Everyone starts off kind of like, eh, I don't know if I belong here. I think what you're saying is so poignant, but particularly more so to the Asian American activism community. To be honest, I don't think the space for Asian Australian activism is as strong. And it's something that I, I'm curious to kind of, you know, hear your thoughts about just this discrepancy between the mobilization of Asian Americans you know, on tackling and, you know, kind of um, mobilizing on certain issues versus Asian Australians. What do you think kind of is the root cause of this? And how do we get to a place where we can comfortably feel that there is an Asian Australian activism space? I mean, I might be missing it. But to be honest, Jeff, I feel like I don't know Mm. a community of Asian Australian activists who I would comfortably be like, oh, this is something I would like do with you or like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like having that space and community would make things like activism so much less intimidating. You yep, know, if, yep, if Asian sure. Youth Act had like a branch in Australia, in Melbourne, that's something I would definitely sign up to. And I think it's something that makes things a lot easier because you kind of already have that space where people in your community are kind of rallying around. Whereas, like I said before, gang, if you're the only Asian in the room, the only young woman of colour in the room amongst like 50-year-old white people, like how, like that is so intimidating. It's not accessible. No, it, it, yes, that's that's the right word, accessibility. And yeah, I'm just curious, like, what do you think goes to the core of this discrepancy between the activist communities in Australia and the states, but also how do we overcome that? Yeah, I think part of it is just having maybe just like a sense of community first before the activism part. Like, I think in Asian Youth Act, there's a lot of connection 
over the fact that everyone is Asian and we just talk about issues just in like a casual way as well. And we connect with each other and we have, we also have fun. We have like game nights sometimes. And I think that's part of what brings us together and allows us to work together to tackle these issues and maybe makes it less intimidating for people is that they know that they have other people along with them. With that being said, when you talked about the different communities, so like Asian Americans versus Asian Australians, I think a big part of it is time. The Asian American community in activism has been there for a very, very long time. They barely ever get to be in the media. And that being said, I think it's a matter of time and building that community. So the Asian American community has been, like the activism community especially, has been there. A lot of people have never heard of it, but it's been there. But it takes time, you know, and that means that like those first steps are really rough for those groups of people, especially those who are considered the first, right? Because you're brand new. No one is necessarily like supporting you. They're like, okay, Asians, cool. Yeah, whatever, right? So it's hard to stand your ground when there isn't a lot of support. Yeah. Mm. So that's why it's so important to have a community. So it's more like you have friends who will support you and you will support them. So it becomes more of a connection. I guess to build it up, it's just, you just have to show up just keep being there just keep going don't really let go of it even though it might seem like there isn't a lot of support and something i wanted to mention is that activism can look different for everyone because it might not be your main thing like as you said you might have a job to go to and like will you take a day off i don't know right mm-hmm. it's like you might not be able to just take a day off easily like that and It just looks, it might not fit into your lifestyle the way it can fit into someone else's, but that doesn't really make you less valuable or doesn't, it doesn't make it less important for you to just be showing up day in and day out. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Amazing. No, I think that's, um, but that's really good to know. Um, Maybe it's not with us, Jeff. You never know. (laughs) That's it. We're starting to branch here. As I am branching out. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) That was, yeah, this is fantastic. I I, I feel like I have genuinely learned so much from this conversation. Um, So I just really want to say thank you to you both for your generous time, especially given our different time zones. So thank you so much for coming today. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you for having us. No worries, no worries. And um, we'll definitely link everything to Asian Youth Act when this episode comes out. So make sure to follow all the awesome work they do. And again, thank you for tuning in, everybody. If you enjoy this podcast, show us a bit of love by clicking the subscribe or follow button. I would really appreciate that. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Bye.